liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows just don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on the great Jeff Hewitt. He is the current Riverside County Supervisor, and he is running to displace the tyrant known as Gavin Effing Newsom for governor of the state of California. Big show, big guest. I really like this guy. I think he's got a shot, and I am pumped to have had him on. I think I might be the first media he's done, but they are ramping up, so you may hear from him elsewhere. So don't miss his first go at it, because I think you're going to like what you hear. He has got the solutions to help save, in my opinion, the greatest state in our country. And it's devastating that I am giving up on it. But good God, would I love to come back at some point in my life. We have a new sponsor this week, so do not fast forward. you got to hear it at least once. It's EarlyFruitHempCO.com. Early Fruit Hemp Company. Basically... Every day, more and more people are looking to CBD as a means of relief. But with high demand came a flooded market. With CBD everywhere and marketed for everything, it may be hard to find a product that works for you or one that works for all. Early Fruit Hemp Company is an online source of organic hemp and handcrafted CBD grown and produced in small batches by American families and shipped right to your front door. You can find natural relief at earlyfruithempco.com. I will leave the link in the description. They offer a well-curated craft selection of CBD, and they are sure to have what you're looking for. For two years, they sought to and served their community the highest quality, cleanest hemp flower and craft CBD extracts available, and they are excited to bring that same experience to you. As a special offer, because they are a new sponsor, if you go to earlyfruithempco.com and you enter the code LIBERTY at checkout, you will get 10% off. Can you beat that? I don't think so. Uh, Just so you know, too, I have had jumper's knee from volleyball for years. And sure enough, CBD oil was what helped along with yoga. Not going to lie. Both both helped. But they got me back on the court, killing these fools with the most vicious spikes you ever did see. So make sure you go to earlyfruithempco.com. Enter that code LIBERTY for 10% off. I don't get any kickbacks. There's no commission here. It's just a straight sponsorship. But... I think you're going to really like it, so do not wait. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I got another very special guest today, uh, second political candidate I've ever had on the show. I am very excited because I actually got to hear him speak at the uh, Libertarian Convention up in uh, Visalia about two or three weeks ago. He doesn't know I was there, but welcome aboard, Jeff Hewitt. Hey, it's good to see you, Clint. Absolutely. Um so you were the uh, the super supervisor for Riverside County, correct? Yeah, I am at this time. Yeah. Oh, you are. You are okay. I didn't. Yeah, know I've got I've got about down. a year and a half left in my first term. Gotcha. And and you are running to replace Gavin Newsom in the recall election. Yes, I have thrown my hat into that recall. <laughs> Love it. Well, um, let's let's start by by going through what a disaster. Gavin Newsom has been, if you don't mind, because obviously, I mean, my audience is largely libertarian, but many of them don't live in California, uh, luckily for them. And I I do. I'm born and raised here. But 
I, I don't think people understand how severe the lockdowns have been, how de destructive it's been to the economy, uh, you know, our psyche as free American people. Um, so if you could give us a little bit of a background on that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Governor Newsom, of course, you know, when he got elected in 2018, he, he was the heir apparent. Uh, the Democratic Party pretty much runs the state. It's a one one party state right now. You know, they, they've had all eight constitutional uh, elected offices for for several terms now. And both houses of the uh, the state legislature have at least three quarter, I mean, super majorities. So so he was the heir apparent. He was being groomed for that. He was the uh, lieutenant governor when he ran for governor. And, uh, you know, he gets in and compared to his predecessor, uh, Jerry Brown, he tended to be much more progressive. And uh, Jerry Brown at least held that legislature somewhat fiscally you know, to, from going too far at once. Mm -hmm. And and so that wasn't the case when they had their guy. And so, you know, it, it was typical politics, you know, um, do we just keep taking people's money through taxation and redistributing it for our favorite deals? And, you know, until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, then we saw uh, this became the most political issue I've ever seen. COVID, you know, they say, follow the science. You know, there were things that came out and said, you know, we, there's things that we would have never used before, like uh, flatten the curve. Uh, you just want, you're putting profits over lives. You know, uh, you're, you're a COVID denier. You don't believe in science, blah, blah, blah. What turns out that um, science was wielded as a bludgeon. In other words, uh, you don't believe in science. A lot of people believe in God, uh, but you can believe in the scientific method. And the scientific right. method basically sets out to say, bring on all information, all data. This ha you know, this hashes thing out. I mean, when you come up with with new um, theories or you're running experiments in, in a laboratory, you to get it to go ahead and get that um, you know written up in journals, that's put before the entire scientific community. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen with COVID. No, nope. COVID was, you know, started out, everybody was, was really running around with their hair on fire. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, the people that were in charge at the time, whether it be the federal government and Donald Trump and the Republicans or state governments, especially the ones, the large states that were Democrat, like our own, they chose their own science. And once they made that commitment to, 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 to shut down and, and to lock people in their homes, so to speak, um, it, you've got to keep going with, with where you're going because you can't admit you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and from day one, Clint, I said, it, it just, it's just like, you can't go out and prove the, the non-existence of anything. You know, somebody says, well, I want you to prove God doesn't exist. Well, there's no way you can prove the non-existence, you know, mm -hmm. it's, but you can't, let's say what happens was, you know, the numbers, if they kept getting worse with, with COVID, you know, the, the cases went up and the deaths went up and we did the lockdowns, the answer was, well, just think how bad they would have been exactly. if we didn't do that. And of course, if they leveled off or went down, then you say, look, they work. This is proof. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's the biggest begging, begging the point I've ever heard. And I knew that was going to be an issue because in government, people get mad at you for not doing something. Even if it's the wrong thing that if it's throwing gasoline on the fire, you know, at least you're doing something. And uh, so so early on, 
you know, I was looking at this and, and of course I didn't want people to die in the hallways. I, I didn't want uh, to have not enough respirators. That's all we were getting from, from, from nor Northern Italy and New York City and these other hotspots. And as an elected, whether I'm a libertarian or Republican or Democrat, I didn't want to be responsible for not being prepared to handle a serious illness. <laughs> and, and so, you know, early on, I was, along with my colleagues, very much uh, interested in preparing for that. And of course, all of that changed um, in a relatively short time. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm curious with the benefit of hindsight. I mean, uh, personally, I, I was, as a just principled libertarian stance, I was opposed to lockdowns, period. You know, regardless of if this was the bubonic plague, I think that you still are a free person and you have a right to make a decision to keep your business open, allow customers to come in, you know, do basically everyone should have been making their own decision based off their own judgment call. I think that's what based off of hindsight, we can, we can show that in truth, the lockdowns really didn't benefit uh, the, the stemming of COVID. So ha with the benefit of hindsight, do you, do you feel that lockdowns are ever a measure that you would support as governor of California? If no. we were to have another outbreak, you know, no, no. And, and, and I don't have to use hindsight either because as early as May of last year, um, I started using what I had actually learned uh, in college. I have actually a bachelor of science in biology. So oh, perfect. I, I, I do actually understand a lot of this stuff and that's, what's crazy. I, I didn't get into medical school and I thought I'd probably never use that. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> and so when I started running my own numbers, you know, because we're getting, you know, every day we're getting in, in the county of, of Riverside, a, a, a county of two and a half million people. So it's, it's a large sample size. We were getting the number of confirmed cases and the number of deaths. The number of deaths would usually follow uh, two and a half, three weeks, you know, behind. So if you had a surge in, in cases, <clears throat> that surge in deaths are going to, you know, anywhere from two, two weeks to a month is going to follow it. And, and when I started plotting all these, I said, something's wrong here. You know, it's, we know that there's a lot of people that don't go and get tested. We know that there's people with very minor symptoms or no symptoms at all mm -hmm. that are being exposed to this. So why aren't they being included in, you know, the sample size, basically? In other words, what was happening is you were taking the number of deaths and dividing by the number of confirmed cases and it gave a ridiculously high mortality rate. Mm -hmm. that, that, that wasn't good science in any realm. No. So uh, as early as July of last year, I was actually able to convince my public health uh, department and, and get my colleagues to go along with it begrudgingly, especially the Democratic ones. <laughs> um, and I said, hey, let's, let's do an antibody study. And I wanted to kind of get it done real quick. Uh, and they said, no, 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 we're going to do this by the book. And I would have had it done in early June, but as it turns out, I'm glad that, that they did it totally legit. I mean, it was, it was the gold standard of antibody studies and it was double blind study with, uh, everybody, uh, being picked totally random. That's incredible. Um, it was, and we went down to, uh, we did school age children too on up, wow. you know, it, it, we included them and nobody done that. And then we used the one FDA approved uh, antibody test, which was, 
a blood draw, not not like a finger prick or anything, but a blood draw. And it, um, it, it included going into a lab and separating out the plasma. And then, I mean, it was 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. So two weeks before uh, we, we did the draws, I, I told my public health director, I said, we're going to have a prevalence of 3 to 11%. And I think it's going to be right around 6%. Well, after she got the blood draw, she came back and she said, who are you? And I said, <laughs> Well, I'm a supervisor. And she goes, no, no. We got a 5.9% prevalence. (laughs) And I said, you know, Kim, I took the same class as you did, but I got the highest score. (laughs) And, you know, no, and, you know, it's just like, gosh. And so what what that did, and it was really important, is that um, it told us that the mortality rate was not, you know, five or 10%, no. the mortality rate was somewhere a fraction of 1% mm-hmm. and, and certainly below one half of 1%. And, and that's still, don't get me wrong. It, it, it was, it was more, it was more fatal overall to the population than the typical flu is mm-hmm. maybe not the Spanish flu or some, you know, no, but it, but, but it, but it was also very selective in, in killing mostly older people. Yep. And that the children were actually safer from COVID than they were from the seasonal flu. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, those are decisions you never want to make. You know, you, you can sit there and put in all these data that you know years of lives lost. Which when you lose somebody young, you've lost fifty or sixty years or whatever their life. Right. And and somebody that's eighty five, they probably weren't going to make it to be one hundred and thirty. So you know you right. can make that, but but you still don't want to get into that. You know we we as Americans, we believe that every life, the individual themselves, is, is so important, especially as libertarian Americans. Of course. And so um, so that was great thing. And and as a you know Dr. J. Bhattacharya, I become friends with him. And of course, he became infamous to a lot of people because he was one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that came out around that time. He's a Stanford professor, correct? He's a Stanford epidemiologist, a brilliant guy who also has a PhD in economics. So he can kind of see the whole picture. I love it. No, he's a phenomenal guy. I, you know, and and he, he said, Jeff, I can't believe you got your counter to do that, you know, but. I'm a supervisor, so I had kind of an inside track on that. But so when we did that, you know, then in, like I say, from May on, I was trying to go against Governor Newsom's, um, you know, his edicts that his, he had this tiered system that was absolutely cockeyed and, and, and that the way he was arbitrarily and somewhat capriciously picking businesses that could survive and could not. In other words, saying, nope, you're not essential. But if you look at it, there, there's, there's two groups that were considered essential. Really big corporations who had a lot of lobbying power. And then liquor stores and pot dispensaries. <laughs> because even he is smart enough to know if you're going to lock people in, you know, um, better let them get high. Yeah. Yeah. You let them get high and drunk because, you know, <laughs> that way they won't revolt. You know what I'm saying? No, and they'll just kind of forget that they've got a job and they got to go out and do things. And, and, you know, right. and their kids are, you know, whatever, doing this distance learning. Who knows the abuses that went on there? Yeah. But if you notice something, too, 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, he got um, paid back for locking people in for a year when uh, the CEO of Netflix gave his uh, fight the recall campaign $3 million. You're kidding me. No, 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 no. This, wow. You can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you. <laughs> and I mean, I'm thinking well, that he who must... benefited more than Netflix from having everybody locked oh, in their freaking oh, home? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got nothing else to do. Or, or Amazon, but, you know. But get high and, 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 uh, and watch <laughs> a movie. Netflix. So, so, you know, it's, uh, um, it, it, it was, it, it was like I was living in a dream world. And, I, seriously. But I, but I couldn't get a second from my, uh, from my colleagues to go against the governor's edicts because I wanted to take him on that. I mean, my two and a half million constituents in Riverside County, um, I'll do anything for them. Uh, honestly, I mean, I take my job very seriously. I love that. Um, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm the cannon fodder. I'm the guy that's going to run up the hill and take it, take out the machine gun nest. That, that's all I am. And, um, and I will do anything because they put their trust in me of course. And, and people don't realize that I, you know, I'm the least important person in a room, you know, all those other people are basically my bosses. Hmm. And so, um, when I using my very few politicians have that perspective, <laughs> unfortunately, look, look I, I try to do things the way I see that it's going to come out. Do I get it right all the time? Hell no, I don't. Mm -hmm. And, but I listen and I listen to sometimes the most angry, uh, using a lot of vulgarity and everything, calling me every name in the world. But when I kind of filter through that, I go, oh gosh, that guy's right. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I'll tell him, you know, but, but, but so when this happened and I couldn't get my, any of my colleagues to second the motion, um, I knew I had to, to do something differently. And, and believe it or not in San Diego County, just to the South of us, we had a, a similar uh, supervisor in Jim Desmond, mm -hmm. who coincidentally was trying to do the same thing with, with his colleagues. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a neat guy. And, you know, and when I saw him in the news and, and he saw me, we, we called each other and we go, wow, wouldn't it be great if we're on the same, <laughs> at least we could get that second. You right. know? And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't just me. And then in uh, Orange County, Don Wagner was trying to do the same thing too. So the problem was we never really got, I think there were some counties about that time, uh, I believe Yuma County and maybe El Dorado, some up there by um, above Sacramento right there, mm -hmm. where they went ahead and went against the governor's edicts as far as, uh, I know a lot of the, the, the bars and some of the restaurants. And then of course, that's only half hour or an hour away from Sacramento. So the governor sent in the, you know, the alcohol, you know, the ABC and all that mm -hmm. and just shut them down. I mean, he made, made examples of them. So, you know, the fear, there's fear on every level. The, so many of the state governments and different uh, agencies at every level tried to make people comply out of fear, out of fear. I mean, they stoked the flames as much as they could, but also when they didn't comply, businesses that just wanted to, to continue in existence and said, hey, look, I'm willing to put up with that risk. I don't see it as a great enough risk to shut down. They too were, you know, they would sweep in like, uh, uh, like the Imperial stormtroopers in Star Wars or something. I mean, it really was 
it was a sad thing to see in this country. I, to me, it's it's the I mean, it's definitionally totalitarian. I mean, you are oh, you are deciding. Oh, yeah. I mean, I never I never thought no matter what, even if we were at war, like World War Three, I never thought that the government would treat the American people like this. I, I mean, I was shaken to my core. Like the ironic part is, even though I was not at all afraid of COVID, I have never been more afraid in my life of the reaction to COVID on an on a global scale. I mean, it's mind blowing. And it was so politicized that the, the thing that was most exhausting about this is like, I was concerned originally very early on about COVID and about mortality rates and about transmission. And but instead of just allowing myself to be propagandized by Fauci, etc. I actually went and I started to do research because I wanted to understand genuinely, like, how how at risk am I? And in about 30 days, I recognized I am not at risk. I'm a young, healthy person with no comorbidities. I am going to be fine. And then all I had to look at was the reactions by the politicians globally. And I was like, okay, well, I may not be at risk from COVID, but I am at extreme risk from um, the politicians that are that are pushing this stuff. Do you think that that this was just a matter of groupthink and and follow the leader? Because to me, it seems it seems almost inexplicable to have a global response to a virus that, as we now know in hindsight, was not that not that fatal to especially to young and healthy people. To have everyone locked down, to not do triage, to not have you know uh, the the elderly or the people with comorbidities to to take serious precautions, but to how ha- have the young and healthy go out and get that herd immunity that we all desperately wanted to achieve. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Do you, do you have any theories as to how we got there? Is it just follow the leader? Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to hear Jeff's answer to this question, but a quick interlude to tell you once again about our friends over at the daily job hunt, go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a daily newsletter that arrives in your inbox for free every morning. All you have to do is go to crash.co backslash daily, enter your email address. That's it. What do you get? You get a daily newsletter that gives you some information, some inspiration, a kick in your effing A to go out and get that job of your dreams, start that business of your dreams, to live the life that you deserve, the one that I live now, the one that I talk about all the time. Yeah, go get it. Crash.co backslash daily to sign up. Thank me later. Let's get back into the show. Well, okay, so let's go back to the original. Um, So one of our favorite senators, I'm sure you like him at times too, is is Rand Paul. Oh, love him, yeah. You know, does he do everything right all the time? Heck no, too. No. But, you know, but boy, (laughs) look at him now, and he's going after Fauci. And especially with, you know, I think there's four or $500,000 that the NIH gave to the Wuhan laboratory <laughs> yeah. and stuff to, to pro- probably help seed this research. Of course. But I, I, would put it, I would put it to your listeners. And, and this is, you know, look at, I, I, I'm really, really, uh, I'm, I'm a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I'm really a skeptic. And, and I'm not a big conspir- conspiracy theorist, although... Sometimes you listen to these people and then, boy, it, it turns out and you go, that crazy guy over there on the corner was dead right. You know? But we all called him a conspiracy theorist. But, but, but you know, just look at this. And, and I'm a big numbers guy. You know, I, the odds of everything and, you know, from the movie where uh, Lloyd Christmas says, so you're saying there's a chance or, you know, th- th- all this stuff. We had this 
this virus, this novel virus come out and it originated, it originated in one of the very few places in the world where they have laboratories that do this kind of work. I mean, no, no, we're talking about out of all the thousands and thousands, maybe millions of places in the world. Right. There's only a few labs like Wuhan. There's only a few, but not only that, but it happened in a time when we know that emphasis was on that kind of research. I mean, those are the things we know. It was bad I mean, born coronavirus it, it, is what they were studying. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's uh, so, so look at if it was, yeah, so the big question in, in my mind, you know, and look at, again, I, I suffered uh, back in 2004, I had uh, the West Nile virus oh, wow. for, for 11 months, Yeesh. for 11 months. I almost died from it. I had meningitis. And stuff. I was like the second person in Riverside County to get it that year. Wow. So, but, but that, that virus, along with two other very, very well-known viruses, HIV and Ebola, all originated as simian or monkey viruses hmm. on the slopes of Mount Elba in Tanzania, near these bat caves. Oh, it seems like bats are always involved, you know, but, yeah. um, but I'll tell you what, um, you know, so to me, I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's just, nah, that's, that's not coincidental. But the bigger question would be, was it an accident that it somehow got out right. or, or was it purposely let out? Mm -hmm. And, and that's like the difference between manslaughter and first degree murder or, exactly. or something like that. Um, but, but we do know, we do know about communist China that there's nowhere near the freedom of press, even though, you know, we talk about mainstream media and, and the bias <laughs> and all that. Right. We've got, we, we've got programs like yours. Right. That, True. That keeps, that keeps that balance and, and that transparency and stuff. Um, China doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. China, they, they have a black market. I met uh, one time at Politicom a few years back at the, at the LAX. It was the first one. I think it was at the convention center in LA. Walking in from the from the parking structure, I met three young Chinese. There was a, a, a gentleman and two women. And this one woman, Nancy, her job was to translate uh, like the John Stewart show and, and one of the others, you know, Colbert or something like that into Mandarin hmm. on this black market with, with, you know, so there's things going on. I mean, there's some, sure. but, but China still remember this too. And this is what's so important. I, I might be jumping all over right now, but, but stay with me on this. Mm -hmm. We talk about these um, passports, vaccine passports. I don't have any problem with a private business going, you know what? The vaccines are out there. I don't need the business of the couple of people that, don't want to get it. That's fine. But most of my people are going to feel really good if you have to show a card or something that say, hey, look, I got my passport. Mm -hmm. If that's a private business, according to all of our crazy, crazy identity protecting laws right now, that wouldn't be legal. But maybe you and I as libertarians, um, we don't have a problem with that. That's, you know, they can refuse the right of anybody because that's their own personal thing. I, I, I will agree with you to an extent, except for right. when it comes to um, industries that have essentially monopolies. 
You know, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Monopolies yeah. don't, they're just, okay. But when you talk about doing that and imposing that on, on, on anything where the government's doing it, it's wrong. Now, we yeah. have that self-attestation right now, which is a joke. <laughs> but, but see, that's even worse. You know, as libertarians, we believe that people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. And that when you make them lie about something to, to not, you know, uh, follow a law, that's almost worse. Right. It's almost worse. You go, wait a minute. I got to lie about this? Are you kidding me? That's even worse. That's, how, that's, why we have that's to... how far down the path to dystopia we are, I feel. Oh, oh yeah. And so, so the Chinese, though, everybody must own a smartphone. Every individual over there. And they are... Everyone's movements are closely monitored mm-hmm. and they can change where you can get in or anything on, on a moment's notice, centrally planned. You could, you got nothing then, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so when you start putting that on an app, it, it becomes so close to what communist China had. I mean, look, we're in a bad, bad way. And, and, and we've got to get to where we can actually say, look, when is enough enough? I mean, the Libertarian Party, I'm going to tell you about something. That's, that's another thing. I, I'm on the Libertarian National Committee. I'm the region, the region four representative, which is basically California. There's eight different regions, but California is a region by itself. And when we had our, um, our national convention, there was about half of the Libertarians that wanted to have an all virtual one. They were too afraid. Of, wow. of what, you know, the I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the inside baseball now in the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, I was, um, I was all for having it in person. I thought it was important that we, the party that represented, you know, represented these individual rights that no government, you can't tell us that we can't go do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. If we go do it and, and, and we die from it, that's thinning of the herd. You should be glad. Right. <laughs> but but as it but it, as it turns out, it was a huge fight. It almost split the whole party. Incredible. And it was about 50-50. And uh, we ended up having a hybrid down in uh, down in Orlando. Hmm. We did pick um, our, our candidates, uh, Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, on a huge Zoom call earlier. It was back in uh, it was April because originally before COVID, we were supposed to have you know, the convention in, in Austin, Texas. Well, that wasn't going to happen, but we ended up having it in the same, same hotel. We had it back in 2016, the Rosen center in Orlando. And we had, I believe 380 or 400 delegates down there. And, and it, it was great. And, and did you know that, and we had plenty of room. We did the social distancing. People had masks it was kind of cool because we had these four uh, different colored bands. And if you're really worried about getting COVID, it was like a red band. But if you wanted to hug people, you had a green band. Oh, that's it was smart. really cool. It worked yeah, out great. I like that. That, that, and, was, um, that was last August, right? Or September? That was in July. Oh, July. Was in okay. July. Wow. Yeah. So, so after that, we did the follow-up. And did you know that not one person got infected? We came from all parts of the country. And, and the only people that got COVID... We're the ones that stayed home. <laughs> no, I, look at, hey. There's strength and so, courage, my man. So then in August, uh, a friend of mine who's really big in the Republican Party here in California, in fact, his wife 
uh, won back one of those uh, Orange County um, congressional seats, Michelle Steele. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Steele, you know, I, we, we call each other once in a while. We're, we're friends. And um, he said, uh, I said, where are you, Sean? He goes, oh, I'm in Charlotte. I go, Charlotte? And he goes, yeah, I'm at the Republican National Convention. And I said, uh, I thought you guys were going to do it all virtual. He goes, no, no, we get six people from each state and we're here in person, you know, and he's, and I said, well, let me do the math on that. Six times 50, that's 300, right? And he goes, yeah, there's 300 of us here. I go, Sean, the Libertarian Party just passed you up. We had like 380 <laughs> in Orlando last month. You know, just, <laughs> that's, the, that's the only time the LP has beat the RNC. Oh, no, I, no, no. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, but I like it. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's, but, you know, I have fun with politics, but at the end of the day, um, it's, and, and, and I'll say this to people that are thinking about running, you know, um, obviously activism is very important. You know, uh, libertarians led activism for gay rights, you know, same-sex marriage. They, they, they have done the yeoman's work on, on, on not only the decriminalization, but then the legalization of, of cannabis and, and working on that for a lot of other substances. I mean, so when you look at not only the liberty movement, but the Libertarian Party, you know, it's not devoid of successes. No, certainly not. But, but when you look at how much success they've had in getting people elected, um, I think the problem has been, and, and I'm making fun of myself a little bit here, but we always swing for the fences before we've gone through T-ball. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing better than, uh, for your ego than seeing your name on a ballot and you're running for Congress or, you know, a state Senate seat or something like that. And, you know, politics, just like gravity, you know, gravity is going to stay 32 feet per second squared. It, it was that way back in the beginning of time. And it's, it's still that way today. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain gravity to politics. To earn people's trust, you have to get into an office. And if that office is a special district seat, if that office is a city council, or there's a lot of county commissioners around the United States. For instance, a friend of mine, uh, Brian Defferding, who's a a libertarian up in Wisconsin, he's in a county and I, I think it's where Winnebago is and stuff. It's right there. That county has like 180,000 people in it, but it has 36 commissioners. You know, so getting the political uh, power there is more of getting on the right little committees that are broke down. Right. But in my position, I'm one of five people that has a whole lot of say over two and a half million people. And 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 me winning this was was it was teamwork with people like Boomer Shannon and a whole lot of a whole lot of volunteers and activists that got together. But I would have never had a chance unless I'd already been elected in a small city and and as a mayor accomplishing something that none of my electeds around me thought I could do. Mm-hmm. And that was take on a huge monopoly, Cal Fire, and kick them out of my city and form my own um, really badass non-union uh, fire department uh, that, that had sustainable 401k pensions. Oh, incredible. And that, and that made national news. So, you know, you've, you've, you've got to get elected. 
you know, but get elected to a position where you have a chance, you know, because everybody has connections and be a part of your community. Oh my yeah. gosh. You, you get out there, be passionate, but don't be crazy. <laughs> a lot of people want to hear the libertarian, um, the message. They, yeah. they want to hear that. Especially they, now. Oh yeah. But see, we, we had a poll back in, uh, I believe about three years ago where the, um, public policy Institute of California took a poll and 62% of the registered voters said it's time to have a viable third party. Mm. Now we always think that, Hey, we're the third largest party and we should be that one, but they don't come running over to us unless we earn, you know, earn their business, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a lot of hard work. You've got to give them a specific reason. And, and so myself as a, as a candidate, um, I'm a little bit different than a lot of libertarians because I don't come right out and say taxation is theft or <laughs> you're a statist because I found out that that never convinces anybody of anything. No. It just makes you sound like you're really angry and you want to tell people how stupid they are. <laughs> right. But, but you know what? It turns out that the average voter is actually very, very bright. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to them as though they're not only as bright as you, but maybe a little bit smarter because, you know, like for instance, I'm in here and I'm getting shot at from every direction. I'm getting beat up. Yeah. There's perks to it. You know, I get to meet important people or celebrities or something, but, right. but at the end of the day, you know, you have to talk to them on their level, on your level. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, I know a lot about the fed. I know a lot about science. I'm a nerd. I can win at jeopardy, but none of that things matters. I want to talk to them about how we're going to make our lives better. Mm -hmm. And I talk about things like right now, you know what the best message I have running for governor is? It's not about how bad Newsom is. He's proven that all by himself. <laughs> and guys with bears and former, uh, you know, mayors of San Diego and, and my former role model who has made a lot of big changes, all these people, they're talking about how bad he is. Oh, I just put what I'm talking, that. <laughs> you, yeah, I'm, I, I caught up. I caught up. No, but, but, but I, but, but I have, um, I have one thing that they don't have. My main message is look, we got to start having barbecues with our neighbors again. Mm -hmm. Just because your neighbor is a Democrat and you're a Republican or an independent or libertarian. Before all this came down, our, our political ideology or emblem on our shoulder, which team we're on, wasn't so important. No. What was important is that we worked together, became a community and did things. We have to respect each other enough to listen to each other and engage in a good debate, not an argument where you just hate people because you felt they, they were louder and they won or something. Mm -hmm. No, it's gotta be healing. This state needs to heal. And, and, and I say that the best way to do it is, you know, we've got this one fourth of Republicans and three fourths of Democrat in both legislative houses. I'd like to see the Republicans at least have a say and they got a lot of good things to contribute. Of course. I mean, the Democrats have a lot of good things to contribute, but what better than to have a Switzerland in the governor's seat? That would be incredible. One that's not a Democrat or a Republican. Judge Jim Gray says some brilliant, brilliant things. You know, I, I got, a monster, monster respect for that guy. 
But he says, today, we're the only mainstream party in America. I think that's that's fair. <laughs> no, the libertarians are because we're not radical. No. What a radical idea that that says that you as an individual and your family, you're going to you have a much better chance of making the right decisions in your life than some pissed off bureaucrat, whether in City Hall or Sacramento or, or, or Washington. Right. They don't know you. They don't care about you, but you care about you. And, and so getting that back to where, you know, do we need government? I'm not an anarchist. I'm not there yet. Anarchists believe that the people are inherently good even more than I do. Mm-hmm. But, but realistically speaking, we need to change the direction and make government a lot smaller. Look at, I could look at all kinds of different departments and everything just in my own county and say, we don't need those. But others that even libertarians a lot of times attack say, wait a minute. You guys don't understand. You don't see it where, you know, I've gone ahead and I've actually gone out on a, on a ride for a day with a child protective services field worker, mm-hmm. social worker. And it's amazing. But what we want to do is make sure we don't break up any families needlessly. Mm-hmm. But we also need to protect those kids that are the most vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and, and are just being tortured or whatever else. So government has a place. But that place has gone way too far. And there's no real leadership. There's no real courage. Think about this for a second, Clint. In 1979, there was a high-ranking bureaucrat who made a very, very courageous decision and was let go because of it and never got the credit for what he saved. And that was the, the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Paul Volcker. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had nine years, nine years of, of stagnation, stagflation is what they call it, stagflation. You had, right. you know, super high inflation and super high unemployment. And it was the worst of all worlds. I remember it. I was alive then. And and this guy came out and said, I am going to raise interest rates. And everybody goes, oh, you can't. That's going to make it worse. And he did it. I can and really shortly <laughs> after, And shortly after that, things turned around. And you know who got the credit for that? Ronald Reagan. Right, right. Reagan did some good things. He did some bad things, but but it was the courage of a guy like Paul Volcker. I agree. We don't have Paul Volkers anymore. No. And we well, need them in leadership. I might be talking position. to one. I don't know. Well, um, <laughs> quit it. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get if you no. can get on the Fed if you can get on the Fed and uh, and hike rates for us, I would really appreciate it because I that that's my biggest concern honestly in this moment is that. We have we printed and borrowed so much money over the past twelve months. Yeah. I, I feel like we are we are on the cusp of hype of a hyperinflationary cycle because that once the economy comes back on and, and that currency starts to circulate, our M two level. I mean, we've upped it by twenty five percent over the past twelve months. Never been done in my lifetime. That's for damn sure. I mean, this is very dangerous stuff. But Clint, the problem with this is most most citizens and voters. They don't understand the workings, you no. know, uh, fractional reserve banking, stuff like, like no, you and I, don't I mean, we're kind of nerds that way, <laughs> but they do understand. And it, it, when you say, you can say certain things that really hit home with them like this, you go, so the Fed printed up $6 trillion in the last year, you know, which has no backing. It, it's, it's, it's all fiat money. All of our money printed today is fiat. There's, right. there's no backing to any of it, but, but the problem is, they can't print up natural resources 
or things that can build. You know, so when you say, how come lumber's so high? You go, well, <laughs> there's a lot they, of, they a lot of paper they chasing. They didn't grow any trees. They didn't, you know, they, <laughs> right. they, didn't, they didn't make any new sawmills or anything. What they did is they just made here, everybody's richer. You got more money. <laughs> But oh, all the stuff. I, I have a fun, a fun joking counter. You can just say, "Oh well, the price of lumber went up because we had to tear down all these trees to print all this paper for <laughs> the, the, the fiat that's currency." A you know? <laughs> that, that's a that's a good one. No, that's a good one. And but but the problem is is that um, you know government does things, and when you realize well, how could they do something so inane? I mean, God, it's so illogical. Mm-hmm. And then you realize. Sometimes, and this is me from inside. I, again, my county has, I have 22,000 employees. Wow. I have six and a half billion dollar annual budget. Billion. Man. No, that, me stepping into to Sacramento in the governor's chair, it, it, there's a few more zeros, but believe me, when I made the transition from the city of Calamesa, which had 11 full time employees and a $6 million budget, the fundamentals of governing are all the same. They're just more zeros. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know what I'm saying? And you you put together a bigger team, a bigger staff, stuff like that. Sure. But all those things, whether whether I'm, you know, like I say, the mayor of Calamesa or the president of the United States, it is still going to have the same fundamentals. And so the problem is, is that people and, and look what look what Governor Newsom's doing right now. I mean, not only does he, first of all, he thinks he's got a surplus because remember they put that really cool tax in that taxes, you know, all the uh, capital gains on the wealthiest people in the state. And of course we have a huge bubble with the stock market. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, even during lockdowns, Amazon and Target, Walmart, and people just, they didn't buy less they just shifted from you know brick and mortar their 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 little uh, corner stores and stuff to just sitting at home well not to mention all and, the mom and pops were shut down so oh yeah yeah and and believe me we're going to need those oh my we're god we're going to need yes. those but but so what happened was all this stuff happened so 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 Newsom's going look see I'm such a genius we have a 75 billion dollar surplus well first of all no you're lying right out of your teeth right there Half of that, half of that goes to education automatically. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surplus. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's in law. That goes right off. But also, what are you going to do to deal with the existing three or four hundred billion dollars just from two different uh, uh, pension plans, CalSTRS and CalPERS, unfunded liabilities? That's money we owe right now. That's right. what we're short on right now. And it's going to be a lot worse in the future, mm-hmm. but and wanna, well, and that's with the stock market at record highs, thanks to the federal oh, yeah. reserve. No, 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 Imagine no, if it if it goes back down to where it should be. I mean, with the 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 crater that would be left behind would be insane. Oh, so 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 anyway, um, you know, if you really want to balance the books, we're upside down so much, right? You know, but when you're but you're also just look at the rock stars that you chased out of the state. Uh, you know, Elon Musk, whether you like him or, you know, according to one of his ex-partners, that's a very good friend of mine. Um, he's had a lot of discussions with Elon and um, and Elon is very, very libertarian. Now, I can make the argument that 
Elon has used taxpayers' money to the tune of about $5 billion to get to that point. Exactly. But I think that if, 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 if I'm arguing for Elon, I'm saying that's $5 billion that that now we've saved many times that just by not relying on NASA to send up our satellites or, or do anything else, true, whether we're true. going to colonize the moon or Mars, just in our, our communications and keeping up with technology. And, and well, and I'm, I'm not sure that there's anything more libertarian than finding a way to to pay less taxes. So, you know. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. So, but 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 somebody like him, he said, "Heck with it." I mean, it got so bad that uh, one of San Diego's star people, Elena Gonzalez, oh. who 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 is uh, the author of AB Five. Yeah. When Elon said no, he told uh, the city of uh, it's up in Alameda County where he had his big uh, Tesla plant or whatever. He said, no, no, we're going back to work. And then she goes, you can't. And she called him an F-bomb and all this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he says, hey, I, I'm going to Texas. And for, for my Texas. listeners sake, uh, AB5 was the independent contractor bill, right? Yes, that's the one where we had that other uh, measure that came out just to get Uber and uh, and Lyft back, you know. And so we still have all kinds of people that are hurt by that. That should be repealed immediately. That's one of the worst laws that I've seen in my lifetime. It's awful. But 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 that's see when you're bought and paid for by organized labor. Exactly. It, you know, you have to deliver. And that's of course our entire uh legislature is. Well and then and so, then in the next breath they will complain about income inequality as they've you know, basically killed mom and pop. They've also killed independent contracting so that people can still find some way to survive in this effed up economy. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then they'll be like, oh, look at all these poor people. It's like, yeah, well, you did that. Like, why are you doing this? It's it's <laughs> so frustrating. No, but see, people, I don't know whether it's, you know, look, again, I sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist when I say that, but I had my publication, my public education a long time ago. You know, I'm, I'm 60, almost 68 years old. And I went to a one-room school for first through fourth grade up in a little mountain community above uh, Ukaipa. And, uh, and, and, and I think I had pretty good teachers throughout my public education. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but I learned how to think critically, to think independently and stuff. I don't think schools do that much anymore. They're throwing this very, very liberal progressive agenda, just milking the heck out of identity politics. And that's not inclusion. No, that's that's like it's very divisive, brainwashing and divisive. You know, yeah. Government. Here's another thing. Government can't make groups of people like each other. In fact, when they try, it makes it worse. What government can do and should do, and it's it's most important function is to protect the individual rights of each and every individual, regardless of what group of people they're in. So that. So that you do not have a gripe against these other people, because if you treat if the government is treating someone better or worse, obviously you're going to have anim- animus towards the person who's getting treated by the government better. So that, yeah. So so I use I use the uh, let's say that you know I'm this this white guy and I have a, a black guy living next door to me, mm-hmm. and we both came from the south and we hate each other based on our skin care. You know that's the way you're brought up. We both have kids and stuff, but as we go to work, we scowl at each other, maybe even flip each other off, whatever, you know, but we're, we're, I mean, there's that, you know, area, but 
But you know what? People in the government say, well, we have to force them to like each other. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, we got to make a law <laughs> that makes them hug before they go to work. <laughs> now, if you've ever been a parent, listen, if you, no, no, boy, you want your kids to stab each other when you're not looking? I mean, no, that's that's force, the worst force thing. Them to hug, Get yeah. over there and hug your sister. You know, no, 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 that's not going to do it. So what happens is, is if this, if I decide to go over on his lawn and burn a cross in there, now the government through the, the local police or something needs to come over here and arrest me because I'm doing damage to his property, exactly. you know, and, you know, but it's not a hate crime. It should be the same as anybody trying to burn because remember, that's another thing. Hate crimes. Do you really feel any better if you're mugged and beat up by a guy that's just doing it? Cause you look like an easy target No, <laughs> as opposed to somebody that did it because your skin color or something. Right. I mean, it's, I'm it's going, such a Oh, I feel so much better. It wasn't a hate crime. I mean, God, well, come on, man. It was nothing you know, personal, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, no, it's not the personal man. Hey, just look, you know, but the stab one feels the same, but you know, but, but what happens is these two going back to that, you know, myself and the black man next door, we have kids mm -hmm. and our kids start playing on the same sports teams. They, they get a little bit older and they go and they start working in a factory together. Mm -hmm. They start realizing that both of their fathers were full of shit. Mm -hmm. That this is how things come together. And, and I'll tell you what, um, I see in so many areas where the government doesn't come in and, and try to force, you know, some kind of affirmative action or, you know, quotas and all this stuff, people eventually start really working. Do you realize that I've got eight or nine people on my staff right now? And um, it's an incredibly diverse staff. I didn't try to go down and go, well, we, oh, let's see, we need one of the, what? what, what? All right, right. I got to check off that box. It turns out that when you just go out and try to get the best person for the job, it's amazing that you have really qualified people in every ilk. Yeah. And and we just ended up with a, a, you know, but I didn't try to go out and do that. Sure. And I think people need to do that, you know, more. Now, look, at do, um, I'll tell you what we do have a problem with right now. Um, I, I just went over this recently. We, we've got a lot of uh, homeless that are 18 oh to 24. God. Incredible. And about 41% of those are either on probation or um, are, are out of prison or jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an employer, I have hired a lot of people that, that had, you know, records and stuff. And some of them made the best employees. They, they really did. Sure. The problem is you have so many, um, it is so hard to go out and set up a little business now or anything else. The government makes it so difficult. I mean, you're just sitting out there. And so you're less inclined to say, well, I'm not going to stick my neck out to give this guy a chance because I've worked so, you know, and one little thing's going to throw me off. Mm -hmm. We need to get these, uh, these employers more prone, you know, because that 18 to 24 year old age, you know, you get somebody that starts believing them in themselves and, and getting a job where they actually get a pat on the back once in a while and stuff like that. Their chance of going back into prison is much, much smaller. Yeah. And if everybody shuns them away and we just give them some kind of entitlement check or something like that. Yeah. And it's it's the first rung on the ladder. I mean, it's like you need to get off 
off the ground. And, and right. I think that that's the problem. And that's, that's why I'm so disappointed in this push for 15 or 20 or $25 minimum wages. Like, uh, and I've, I've seen it with my siblings who are much younger than me. It's very tough for people in high school now to get a job because no one wants to pay someone who's never had a job, who doesn't know how to do anything, 15 bucks an hour. But when I was a kid, I got paid four seventy-five an hour and I didn't know shit. And I just went in and I did the job. I did a bad job, but they paid me nothing. So there was no loss, but I learned how to actually, uh, you know, contribute and be a, a beneficial member of society. And it's just like this whole direction. And, and just so you know, a little bit about my background, I was a private money mortgage broker. I had a, a company in, you know, Carlsbad, California for um, the past seven years. I've made millions of dollars and I'm leaving California and I'm born and raised here. And, and I'm plant, plant. Don't do that. I'm, I'm sorry. Do, no, no, no. I am. No, no. We can't have all the productive people leave. This is a beautiful state. Are you native here? Did you grow up? I'm in born and raised, man. 38 years. Okay. So look, Hey, I've told everybody I will be the last person to turn the light out. I mean, this is <laughs> no, listen, we, I thought I was going to be that guy too, man. But I'm telling you the lockdowns, the lockdowns were just backbreaking for me. It, it really, it, and, and the, the fact that, you know, we're arbitrarily getting a, a fucking lift to these, these uh, lockdown protocols on Ju June 15th, which he announced three weeks ago, as if that's scientific at all. It's well, just it is. so exhausting. It's, no, he's following, he's following the science. He's following political science. All right. <laughs> he knows science. that, he knows that, look at Gavin Newsom doesn't need any, he doesn't need any money. I mean, his, do you know, his family oh, I know. was some of the top attorneys for Getty Oil. Yep. Uh, no, no. So look at, he's set for life. But if you want to leave a legacy, do you really want to be the second Gray Davis? No, for him, you know, being branded a loser for the rest, and he's got aspirations of being in the White House. And of course. I mean, let's face it, the guy is a really good looking guy. If I was going to sit there and uh, build a Ken doll or something, you know, he's about six, three or four, perfect teeth, nice hair. Right. You know, everything that I'm well spoken. Not, yeah. Everything that I'm not. <laughs> but, but you know what? Hey, but there's a difference between he and I and more than just the way, you know, we smile or whatever. You have a soul. The, well, yeah, and I got I got I got a really, really bad conscience. I mean, I just I, right. I can't lie. That's the, that's a crazy part. Yeah, you know, too. it's just like, oh, you know, and then and then also going back to the minimum wage, I'm old enough to where I've worked for a dollar fifty an hour. Right, right, right. OK, but when you talk about what my minimum wage is, people say, well, you'd never work for minimum wage. I said, not only would I work for minimum wage, but I would come over and I would clean out your sewers with my bare hands. If you'll give me bread to feed my kids, mm -hmm. that's my minimum. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take anything from anybody else. As long as I have something to give other human beings, whether I, whether it's physical or mental, you, you tend to be on the mental, you know, if you were mar money market manager and all that, right, right. you didn't go to the gym. Exactly. Yards for swing. But I after the Dave Smith episode and since then have loved this show as much. And if you know, underscore. Where did it go? It requires a fight. Not from your phone. Don't need a king. Get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the duck, you 